Autism now affects 1 in 88 children, in which 1 in 54 are boys, and the prevalence figures are growing daily. Autism is the fastest growing serious developmental condition in the United States that costs a family $60,000 a year on average, while the cause receives less than 5% of the research funding of many less prevalent childhood diseases. As to date, there is no medical detection or cure for autism. Help us at the Jayzo Modcast Network change that as April is National Autism Awareness Month. We ask all of you to join us this month in honoring the boys and girls who live with this condition each and every day of their lives in donating to a charity centered around researching and possibly finding a cure. Any amount is welcomed because chances are you personally know someone directly affected with autism. Let's come together and make a change. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on my way, one son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 40. Yes, we have hit the big 4-0 on Lupa's Bits. I am your host, Lupa Barty, aka Stephanie J. Barty, and any other nasty, lovely, wonderful, creepy, eerie, insane name you want to call me. I'll answer to pretty much anything. Pretty much anything. There are a few things I won't answer to. But yeah, I will answer to pretty much anything. Most of the times, if we're in person, I'm pretty much, kick me, I'll move. Especially if I haven't moved in a while. You might have to kick me, because I kind of settle in, find a groove. So yeah, it's the big 4-0. This is our 40th episode of Lupa's Bits. Okay, I say our, and it's kind of funny, because I'm the only person here. Me and as my uh, best friend's husband, my sister's husband says, you know, me and all my personalities. Because (laughs) he... uh, He's never seen creative Lou. He has seen festive Lou. He has seen um, backyard bonfire Lou. He has seen married Lou. He has seen giggling on the couch with his wife Lou. But he's never seen creative Lou. And when I discovered TikTok, I discovered an outlet for all of the voices in my head. And I created a few characters on TikTok. There is Oma, and she is grouchy and outspoken and judgmental. And then there's me, Lupa. And then there is, um, let me see, what have I named them? See, I can't remember their names. It's been a while since I've I've actually brought out these characters. Um, there is Grouchy, who is not the morning person and will stab you with a spoon if you try and take her coffee. And she will use a spoon because as the Sheriff of Nottingham in my favorite version of Robin Hood says, it hurts more. (laughs) Anyway, so 
yeah, there's Grouchy, there's Sunshine, who is overly optimistic and really, really cheery. And most of my personalities want to drown her or stick her in a hole and cover her in dirt because she is way too cheery. And then there is my inner child who likes to run with scissors and play with matches. Then there is Country Girl. Now, Country Girl, she has two different uh, hats, really. It all started with hats, okay? So Country Girl has her farm girl hat when she's out working in her garden and doing her thing and got her little overalls on. And then she's got, I'm going fishing, I'm going trapping, I'm going hunting, I'm doing my thing hat. You know, her pink camo hat. Oh, excuse me. My goodness. Then there's Rude Girl, (laughs) who just belches on the air. Um, But uh, I have all these different personalities that my friend's husband isn't quite used to. So he used to, um, when I lived in their trailer, he would catch my TikToks every once in a while because they would come across, um, they post to Instagram too. So he would see them on Instagram. We've now brought him over to TikTok and he has his own TikTok account now. I do that to a lot of people. I have actually converted one, two, three, four people, five people over to TikTok. I have dragged them over to TikTok, most of them kicking and screaming. And then after about a day or two, I get really nasty messages from them (laughs) telling me that they've lost five or six hours of their life that they'll never get back. Not my problem. Not my problem. I will hand you the drug but I will not make you take it. That is on you. (laughs) I will be the dealer. Actually, I'm not even the dealer because you can get the drug yourself once you sign up and you get onto TikTok. It's all you. I will, I am just your gateway drug, okay? I am your gateway drug to TikTok. (laughs) So we'll go with that. Anyway, so he would see my, my TikToks come across Instagram and he would call his wife and he's like, have you talked to Lou today? Uh, you might want to check on her. I think her personalities are running amok. And then, you know, Crystal would call me and she'd be like, yeah, all right. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Made a funny, few funny TikToks. She's like, I know. Oh, yeah, he saw them, did he? Yeah, tell him I'm fine. <laughs> and he would, you know, be concerned. So I have a lot of fun over there. So he, yeah, he's never really experienced creative Lou. And when I'm writing... I tend to have a lot of different personalities bouncing around in my head because I try and write characters who are very strong personalities. And most of my stories, my poetry, my books, the women are very strong women. They have very defined, strong personalities. And they take up a lot of space in my head. So the other personalities that hang out in there need to come out every once in a while. And it kind of helps get my creative juices flowing by just being creative and creating a 60 second TikTok where I'm as talking to Lupa about pushups. I don't know, whatever. And it just kind of helps get into that creative space. And I, I kind of need that lately. And I've just moved into, uh, well, not just moved. I've been here for almost a month now. Yeah. When when uh, 
a month today because this will come out on the 24th, which is Friday. Or no, Saturday's the 24th. So this will come out on the 23rd. This will come out the day before my one month anniversary of having this apartment. And I've lived here full time for two weeks. Now, I still have one more load of stuff at the trailer. So I'm not quite completely out of the trailer yet. But I was over there last week and I brought two very significant pieces back to the apartment with me. For the last 13 years, wherever I have been, wherever I have stayed for an extended period of time, my dad's helmet has gone with me. And um, up until September, I think it was, um, it hung on my bedroom wall in the house in Midland. And when I left in July, I didn't take it with me. When I went back in September, I think it was September, August or September, I got it and brought it to the trailer and stayed at the trailer with me. And having my dad's helmet with me makes it feel like home. And um, one of the first things I noticed when I moved into this apartment is we are on the fire route. <laughs> so as soon as the alarm goes out, as soon as those fire trucks go out, they go right by the front of my building. And it makes me smile every single time. And it makes me, hi, Dad, every time a fire truck goes by. So it was very comforting to have that when I first moved in. But I kind of left the helmet over at the trailer. I've got my dad's plaque here. Um, I've got a lot of his stuff now from the house that, like his fire truck and um, pictures of him are here now. But his helmet stayed at the trailer. And the day before my grandmother died, I went to see her at the home. And I had seen, she had this blanket. <laughs> and she'd had this blanket for a few years. And we all giggled and we called it grandma's pot blanket. Pot leaf blanket. It was the pot leaf blanket. Because the leaves on it, now I think they're supposed to be a, a, a Japanese maple leaf. But... I'm sorry, a Japanese maple leaf and a pot leaf look very, very similar. So we would tease grandma and tell her that she was all wrapped up in her pot leaf blanket. And she would do, oh, you stop. I would never do that. Stop. And she would giggle and, you know, tuck the blanket in around her legs. And that would be that. Well, the day before she died, I went to see her and the blanket was folded up outside of her room. Because now remember, this is in November. So this was in the height of covid and most of the long-term care facilities were closed to visitors because of the outbreak. And we were only, the only reason why we were allowed in is because Graham's was circling the drain. Now, back then I was, you know, Graham's had circled the drain many, many times and bounced back. So I was still kind of holding out hope when I went to see her the night before she died. And I noticed that her blanket was folded outside of her room. It wasn't on her bed, it wasn't on her dresser. It was folded on the bedside table outside in the hallway. It had the sticker on it with her name on it. And I thought, oh, okay. So I went in, I spent time with her. We had a very serious conversation. Uh, okay, well, I talked, she laid there and breathed 
I'm not even exactly sure if she was listening. I like to think she was listening. Um, she did open her eyes. She did look at me. She did react to my touch. She did react to my voice. And that's one thing I can say. She was in full-on grips of Alzheimer's when she died. She had moments where she did not remember her my aunt, her other daughter. But she never forgot me. She never ever forgot she may have forgotten my name but she never ever ever forgot who I was I would call her grandma and she would react she would in in those few days before she died I did have a moment where she was lucid and she looked up at me and she just kind of sighed and went hi you and that's that's how she would greet me hi you you know like I know your face and she we we had that moment so when I left her room that night, I said to the nurse as I was dis- ungowning and regowning, <laughs> because you have to you had to gown up when you came in, and then when you got to the room, you had to ungown and regown to go into the room, and then when you came out of the room, you had to ungown and regown to go back through the home and down to the door, and then take everything off into the bin and out you go. So when I came out, as we were switching gowns and gloves and masks and everything um, I said to her nurse can I take her blanket and he says yeah sure no problem you can you can take it your mom's waiting outside you can take her blanket so I scooped up that blanket and um, I came out of the door and when I came out of the door my mom and my aunt both said I was hugging the blanket I thought I was just carrying the blanket they both said I was hugging the blanket and my mom said she looked at my aunt and my aunt looked at her and they both nodded. And my mom went, yeah, she can have the blanket. So when I came to the car to give it to my mom, I said to my mom, you know, this was just in the hallway. I didn't want it to get stolen. So I asked the nurse if I could take it and, you know, you can take it home. And mom said, no, your aunt and I have decided you can have grandma's blanket. I got in the car with the blanket and I hugged that blanket the entire way home. Well, I wasn't going home. I was going back to the house I was working on, but I hugged that blanket the entire way back to the house. And it was a good 20 minute drive. And then when I got back to the house, I had a good old cry into the blanket. Well, I had left the blanket and my dad's helmet at the trailer up until, I think it was Thursday of last week, maybe. So it's been there the entire time. It hadn't quite come to the apartment. And I was over there packing things up. And I decided it was time to move grandma's blanket and my dad's helmet to my new home. Because that trailer had been my safety net. That trailer had been my security. It was my soft place to land when I did the hardest thing I have ever done in my entire life. And that was walk out that door. And that trailer, that space, that... Crystal and her husband gave me that soft place to land had been my home, had been my sanctuary since that day. So by bringing my dad's helmet and my grandmother's blanket that represent two people that supported me and were there for me and one that had a very interesting relationship with Okay, so this didn't start out ranty, but this might turn into ranty because we have a call-in. Well, it's not really a call-in. It's more of a text-in. So, anyway, by bringing them over, 
I was signifying that this now was my home, that I was bringing my safety and security from the trailer where I had discovered safety and security and strength and character and backbone. Who knew I had one? <laughs> and all of that and, and, and love and all of that there, I was now bringing that here to my space. And this is truly my space. I've got pictures up on the wall now. I've got decorations. It's, it's, I'm not walking around putting things away and keeping things clean because it's somebody else's place, which I, I will not lie. I was doing for the first oh, couple of weeks of living here. I was walking around like this was somebody else's space. And yeah, y'all can hear me fidgeting and mucking around here, as my grandmother would say. Quit mucking about. Um, I'm just trying to get... Oh, well, yeah, okay, that's a good rant. So, I will mention it. We'll get there. So, by bringing those, bringing the helmet and the blanket over to the house and finding their homes, putting them away, because that's kind of what I've been doing with the stuff from the trailer, is I will bring a load over... I will bring a piece, like a box up at a time, put it away, and then go and get the next box out of the car, bring it up, put it away, sort through it, throw out whatever I don't want, whatever, put it away so that I don't get overwhelmed. So bringing the helmet, now my dad's helmet and the blanket sat in the car for a couple of days because I didn't know where they were going to go. I didn't know if I was going to put Graham's blanket on my bed I didn't know if I was going to fold Graham's blanket and put it in the cupboard. I didn't know where I was going to put my dad's helmet because, like I said, in the house in Midland, in my old life, it hung in my bedroom. A friend of mine actually made a really good point that sometimes the dead can be attached to things that belonged to them in when they were alive, like, you know, their helmet or their Masonic papers or, you know, stuff like that. So do you really, really want that in your bedroom? And I kind of went, mm, no, <laughs> because, you know, I, I may live alone, but I am human. You know, there are just some things my father and my grandfather and my grandmother don't need to know. Don't need to see. Um, so I didn't know where I was going to put my dad's helmet. I didn't know where I was going to put my dad, my grandmother's blanket. So I finally brought them up. I think I brought them up um, Sunday. I went over to Crystal and Brian's for dinner. And, um, well, I went over there for the day. We kind of hung out all afternoon, did our thing. Um, Crystal has a couple of businesses, and one of them is a decal and vinyl business. And it's called Stuck On You Designs. And she, we did the, finish the um, decal on the hood of her car. And, you know, we hung out, did our thing, planted her plants. I brought some of them home um, to try and, you know, coax life back into them. Because for some reason, when I looked at them, I felt like I could. I don't know why, but I did. So I brought them home. Yeah, if you read The World of Myth, which is coming out tomorrow... Uh, and you read the humor story, which I wrote, you will understand. Bergamot is one of the plants that I am trying to revive. <laughs> Same with patchouli. 
and oregano and uh what is the other one um mugwort i do believe is the other one anyway so it was sunday i brought everything up when i got home and i found a home for my dad's helmet it's on top of the curio cabinet so in my mind so it's like he can look out the window and see the fire trucks going by and grandma's blanket is on the back of the couch on the back of grandma's couch and it's funny because, I mean, grandma's never going to have this couch again. Grandma's dead. Um, so it's my grandfather. So it's not like this couch belongs to them anymore. And it's not like the curio cabinet or the knickknacks that were grandma's in the curio cabinet belong to them anymore. They belong to me. They are mine. But it will always be Graham's couch. So Graham's blanket is on Graham's couch beside Graham's curio cabinet and Papa's table. So, I really, I'm living in an apartment with stuff that does not really belong to me. The table, the kitchen table that I sit at and have breakfast and drink my coffee in the morning, and the other end is set up for writing, my Uncle Jeff built for my grandparents uh, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, maybe 40 years ago the bookcase okay so maybe the bookcase is mine and all of the stuff most of the stuff some of the stuff okay I'm, I'm saying that as I'm scanning down the bookshelf going okay well that belonged to so-and-so and that belonged to so-and-so and that belonged to so-and-so uh, most of the stuff on the bookshelf is mine I've got all my spiritual books on the top shelf and then the second shelf is inspired learning books like uh drawing down the moon and the dancing wooly masters um I, I pulled those two off the top of my head because those are the two i can see and recognize the spines i don't have my glasses on so i can't see the rest of the books and then the next row of books starts with you know eternally bound and um monsterthology and the chosen um so my books are on that shelf as well. And then the next shelf down is kind of, I'm not even exactly sure how this happened, <laughs> but it's kind of like paparazzi TV show shtick shelf because I've got the Buffy the Vampire Slayer books that was given to me. I've got a row of beautiful decorative Reader's Digest and I have, I'll let you in on a little secret. My grandmother had, and I do believe these are hers, had an extensive collection of the hardback Reader's Digest. So you get like four or five stories in each Reader's Digest. That was my first experience with an anthology. My first experience with a short story. And she used to get the little Reader's Digest magazines as well. You know, the little ones, they're about the size of an Archie comic. Not like the full comic size, but the little book comic. And they would have like little short stories in it, joke, little humorous jokes, little cartoons, um, really like sentimental stories, true to life stories and stuff like that. And that, it's kind of funny that I work for a magazine now that carries that exact thing that is, is kind of laid out like the old Reader's Digest was, but in digital form. 
Um, and I mean, I was reading these things from the time I was four or five because my grandmother always had them lying around. Now you have to understand, I could read before I went to kindergarten. My Annie Kathy, who was a school teacher, recognized my um, affinity for language. And she taught me to read before I went to kindergarten. And I can, I can tell you the very first book that I read was I Am A Bunny. And I do believe it is somewhere on my bookshelf. I do have it. I do. Because when I was unpacking the boxes, I noticed that my ex had tossed the copy that I, we had bought for our daughter into the box. So I do have a copy of it. But yeah, that was the very first book that I read. So I have been reading since I was three. I started school when I was, I went to um, daycare when I was four. And I started junior kindergarten when I was five. Because my birthday's in February. So, you know, I had to start later. But I have always been this ferocious reader. Most people say, oh, I'm an avid reader. No, I was ferocious. Uh, last night at the dinner table, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone, but he was busy doing something. So I was eating my soup and I realized I can't use my phone to read because I'm having a conversation and I didn't bring anything to the table for me to read. So I'm eating these pretzel crisps and they look like pretzels that have been run over by a steamroller and they taste like a pretzel. They're really good. But they're really, they're these like really thin, kind of like pretzel crackers. And I was eating them with my clam chowder. And I realized, hey, the bag's got words all over it. And I'm reading the bag of pretzel chips because I had nothing else to read at the table. When I was a kid, um, we weren't allowed to read at the table. And I, for, like for breakfast, I guess it really didn't matter. None of us actually tested the theory of bringing a book to the table at breakfast time or at lunchtime, we would just read the back of the cereal box. I think by the time I was 12, I could tell you absolutely every single ingredient in a box of Rice Krispies and every single ingredient in order in a box of Cheerios because that's what we read every single morning. And the one word, it just popped into my head too. The one word, because it's such a, I don't know, I thought it, it was just a funny word. The one ingredient that I remember from the Cheerios and from the Rice Krispies is riboflavin. Just because it's a funny word. Riboflavin. <laughs> anyway, um, I've always been a voracious reader. I read everything. I'm constantly reading. If, even if I don't have a book in front of me, I am constantly reading. I'm always reading everything. I have read every single one of those Reader's Digest on my bookshelf every story probably twice so they're not just decorative for me i actually read them i would sit for hours and read my uncle's old he had he was going to be a lawyer at one point in time so he had all of the old law books and legal journals and i would sit on the floor kind of un almost under his desk in their formal living room i don't know what it was i was little and I would read these legal journals and um, album covers. I would read the backs of albums and, and read the lyrics. I was reading everything. So yeah, I have read all of the Reader's Digest on my bookshelf. And there's probably a good 15 books there. 
And then on the same shelf, that's why I say it's kind of a uh, paparazzi, supernaturally, I don't know. Then I've got seasons one through six of Supernatural on DVD. And it's on one side and Buffy, the Buffy books are on the other side. And then in the middle, I have my, well, part of my collection of old cameras. The next shelf is just kind of pretty boxes and, and old books that are really pretty. <laughs> that really, I haven't really read though. Well, I mean, one of them is Tom Sawyer. I've read that story. Another one is an old, old, old copy of The Wizard of Oz. And they're really old books. Now, one of my prized possessions is actually on my coffee table, which is not mine, was my mother's, which belonged to my dad, which belonged to his mother, which she brought over from England when she got married to my grandfather. Now, this is on my dad's side, not my mom's side. Anyway, um, I happen to have, and I'm just grabbing it because I don't want to misquote it, it is leather bound. It is old, and if you open it up and you, and I actually did this the other night, Dave and I were talking, and he didn't say anything. I don't know if he noticed or not, but in the middle of the conversation, I just reached over and grabbed the book off the table, and I picked it up, and I stuck my nose into the pages and just sniffed. Like, and listen, listen to that. Listen, listen, just listen. Listen to that sound. Isn't that just a wonderful sound? I, but I just... I had this urge. I needed to smell the pages. So I did. I smelled the pages. And it's a really old book. And it is one of my prized possessions. Partly because poetry is kind of how I got started. And he is a poet that, you know, you study in school. You hear all about him. He's very, very famous. Uh, but I do love his dramatic works. I love his poetry. I love the way he writes. I love the way he, he spins an entire story into a poem where you're, you're pulled in and then you're like, wait, what? That was a poem and it's over. Well, that sucks. And if you read these in order, they do tell a tale. They, they really do tell a story. So the book, I guess I should tell you what the book is and who the poet is. It is, because those of you that know will go, <gasps> The Poetic and Dramatic Works of Alfred Lord Tennyson. And this is copyright uh, 1899. There are no copyrights before it. There are no copyrights after it. It is copyright 1899. By Houghton, Mifflin, and Company. All rights reserved. <laughs> I do love that sound. <laughs> but it is in amazing condition. Um, there is some loving wear and tear on the spine, at the top of the spine. It's frayed a little. But the gold etching on the edges is still mostly there. But it is my pride and joy. And part yes, because it is Tennyson. I love Tennyson. And because when you open it up on the inside. Now, back in the day, I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember. Back in the day. Oh, oh the heat kicked on. We'll discuss that in a minute. When you were given a book in school, you had to sign your name in it. 
and the year, the date, whatever. And this started in um, 1903. And I'm not sure who this person is because they just put their initials, but it's 07903. And then Sarah L. Young possessed the book October 1st, 1903. And then in 1965, in Ithaca, Brian Tennyson took possession of the book. And his is the last signature in the book. And I'm pretty sure Brian Tennyson is a descendant of Alfred Lord Tennyson. So that is one of something that I I that means something to me. Makes the book very special to have a descendant of his having possessed the book at one point in time, wrote his name in it and the year he had it and where he was. Ithaca. Of all places, Ithaca. So yeah, it's it's a very special book and it sits on my coffee table because you know it looks pretty but I do have a couple of um, books that have significance to me there is a oh, oh there it is I'm looking at it right now there is a copy of um, the Wizard of Oz that my sister bought me and it's the original tale of the Wizard of Oz not the Hollywood tale of the Wizard of Oz but the original Wizard of Oz and it's still wrapped in its plastic. It's still as good as it was the day she took it out of the store. Because I'm a collector. I will admit, I'm a collector. No, I'm not a hoarder. I'm a collector. There's a difference. You can walk through my place. You can open my drawers and my cupboards and everything is neat and tidy and put away and there's room. I actually have empty shelves. They're a thousand feet in the air and I need a stepladder to get to them and even then I can't quite reach the top but I do have empty shelves. I'm a collector. Old cameras, old books and ever since I was a child anything The Wizard of Oz. My Auntie Kathy made me a stuffed Dorothy doll with a little Toto which unfortunately over the years has now since disappeared. I had a Wizard of Oz jewelry box that mysteriously vanished when I was gone for two and a half years. I had um, various Wizard of Oz paraphernalia over the years. My mom bought me the Wizard of Oz board game. I don't know where she found it. I have never seen another one like it anywhere, ever. She bought it for me for my birthday about 20 years ago. And it is still in the plastic. It is on display on the top of the curio cabinet right now. It will remain in its plastic. I have no idea what it's worth. It's probably not worth anything except to a collector like me. So, yeah, I... I okay, so I do have some things in here that are mine <laughs> that, that do speak to my personality. Yeah, so I have, I have the Wizard of Oz board game. I've got... Um, I went and actually saw, I don't know where the program is now. I mean, there are still things at the house that I have to get. And that's going to be like a couple of day thing where me and my ex go through the house 
and divide everything up. You know, what's, what do you want? What do I want? What are we throwing out? What do the kids want? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But I have discovered over the last almost a year, I kind of have to ease him into things to make it easier for me. I had to ease him into the separation and he's all for that now. We've hammered out the details and we got all that done and taken care of. All of that's done. Now I'm easing him into the divorce because he doesn't see a reason. He doesn't seem to think there's a need. So I'm easing him into that. <laughs> um, so easing him into taking more things out of the home kind of has to happen slowly because I don't want to lose anything that means something to me. I don't want the furniture. I've already, we've already divided up what I'm taking for furniture. They think the only thing left to be discussed is my dad's stereo. Now, I don't have any room for the stereo. I don't know where I would put it at this point. There is no room here for the stereo. If he doesn't want the stereo, my brother has said he will take it, which means it will stay within the family, which is perfectly fine with me. Um, and knowing my brother, he will sand down the wood, he will refinish it, and he will bring it back to the beauty that it was. But other than that, it's just little sentimental things like dividing up the pictures and, you know, stuff like that. I do have a program from The Wizard of Oz, the Broadway musical. Or no, sorry, Wick. Yeah, no, my mom took me to see The Wizard of Oz when I turned 18 on Broadway. And then um, when I turned 40, I think it was. No, it couldn't have been that long ago. No, maybe only five years ago. Yeah, maybe five years ago. Uh, she took me to see Wicked on Broadway. So I have the programs from both of those. I just realized that the mug that I bought at Wicked... Um, is still actually in the house in Midland. Hopefully it's still in one piece. I can't believe I didn't get that. So there are still things. But it was very significant to me to bring my dad's helmet and my Graham's blanket. Yes, we've circled back around to that now. <laughs> you know me. I ramble. And I will eventually get back to the point I was trying to make half an hour ago. It was very significant to me to bring the helmet and place it in its home and to bring um, the blanket and place it in its spot where it's going to live in my new place. And then hanging up my grandfather's paintings and my pictures that mean things to me, like the cross stitch of the wolves that my sister made me for Christmas. Now I know how long it takes to cross stitch picture. Cross stitch is small. It's not as small as petty point, but it's small. And I did that. Well, actually, I'm in the process or was in the process because that is still at the house in Midland as well of doing that picture. So I know how long that picture takes. And my sister took almost a year to cross stitch this wolf picture for me. And it's a nine by 11, I think. I, I don't know. I don't know sizes. What do I know? And then there's a wolf picture that my friend Mel gave me, um, the wood carving that my ex bought for me. And it's one of a kind, or yeah, one of a kind. 
And then there's pictures that my grandfather painted. And I put them all up around me. And I did notice as I was putting the pictures up, what a difference hanging pictures on the wall makes to the feel of, of a room. Like it felt like an apartment before, you know, like I lived here, but there was nothing on the walls. There was nothing with personality. There was no distinction as in, you know, yes, there was furniture, stuff was placed, but there was nothing on the walls for decoration. And now there is. Like I have my big um, Celtic knotwork piece hanging on the wall now in my bedroom beside my bed just totally changes the feel of the room and the pictures totally change the feel of the room and I walk into my bathroom now and I'm like damn I need to put something on the wall in here it's pretty bare <laughs> it's pretty bland <laughs> there's there's no personality in the bathroom which really there shouldn't be any personality in the bathroom but you know it needs something on the walls and I've, of course I took a video of it and I sent it to my my sister and my sister oh it's starting to look really good I'm like, what do you mean starting I'm done. This is this is the look. <laughs> there's no starting. There's there's no, you know, continuing. I'm done. This is it. This is how it's... I'm done. And then I sent it to my Annie Kathy so that she could see her dad's artwork on the wall. And, and some of these pieces are pictures that she he had started and died and she had finished. Now, when you first come in the apartment, the picture... Because it didn't really match any of the other pictures... So the picture on the wall in the hallway is one that she had finished. So it's Austin and Peyton. Um, Austin being my grandfather, Peyton being my Annie Kathy. And it's on the door right as you come in. And she's like, oh, it looks really nice. Do you have any more space on the walls? And I'm kind of looking around going, well, I have a little bit. You know, I, I do have another wall in the hallway. There's a bathroom and there's still some space out here and my room. And she says, oh, good. When I come to visit, I have a picture for you to hang. Awesome. I'm getting another painting. So then I sent the video to my mother. And she says, oh, it looks lovely. Do you have any space left on your walls? And I'm like, what, what, what is with these two? And I'm like, um, yeah, I do. I do have a little bit of space. And actually, I'm looking around going, I have a lot of space. And she said, great, because I may have some of Papa's pictures that, you know, I need to give away. I'm like, you do realize that most of the pictures, most of the paintings on the wall right now are Papa's. I got one, two, three, four, and a half. The one in the hallway was half done. And then I still have uh, one, four, or three or four that need frames that are down the side of the couch that haven't been hung up yet. And she's like, oh, okay, well, you know, you can have these too. I'm like, great. <laughs> so I've decided now that my apartment is no longer my apartment, but it is an art gallery for my grandfather, which is kind of funny because in the house in Midland, um, I was kind of over taking over the upstairs because my ex has crappy knees and he won't do stairs if, he doesn't feel like it. So coming up and down the stairs, he was, so I was making the upstairs mine, basically. And I had taken all of my grandfather's pictures and we couldn't afford frames. So I went and bought that sticky tack that you put on the back of stuff and you can stick them. 
um, and I stuck all the paintings up and down the hallway. So I turned the hallway basically into an art gallery for my grandfather. Now, over time, the pictures started to fall down. Dollar store, sticky tack, what do you expect? Um, and instead of putting them back up, we just kind of put them in safe places. But now I'm going to be getting, like, I'll get frames for them and I will put them up. And I will, I love having artwork on the walls that I can look at. And I can look at the paintings and go, I know that one. And my grandfather painted that one. I have a, a personal connection to the artwork. It's not just, you know, some random piece that I saw that I liked. There's stories behind it. You know, the one, um, where is it? Oh, there it is. Balmer's Cottage. A lady that we grew up, I grew up with as a kid, Edna Buck. She, did, she painted that picture of the cottage at the end of the dirt road really long dirt road, Balmer's Road in Apsley, Google it. It was the home, the homestead at the end of the road. And she took pictures, my grandfather took pictures, and they both painted it. There's other pictures I have, I have to find, oh, I have the white chapel, it needs a frame. A little white chapel by Jack's Lake, and it's the tiniest little chapel. I mean, you can only sit two butts per pew. And there's three pews on either side, so it sat two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve people. And one, and one minister, one very small, very short minister. It had to be very skinny because it's a tiny little church. It is a 12-ass church. Tiny, tiny, tiny. It's called the Little White Chapel. And when I was a kid, actually, one of my, my dreams when I was, you know, all, I would be all grown up and when I get married, I wanted to get married in the Little White Chapel because it was so cute and it was so tiny and being inside, it would have been very intimate. You would only be able to have 12 of your closest family and friends inside that chapel. And when I was 11, that would have been my entire bridal party. Because, you know, at 11, you want this huge, lavish um, wedding. And I think it was around that age, too, that my grandmother had watched Princess Diana get married, so, you know, she had the big floofy gown. Now, you could not wear a big floofy gown inside this little tiny church. It won't fit. But my grandfather painted the little white chapel. And I was on Facebook, and I had found the Apsley Facebook page, and we were, I was hanging out there. It's called Backroads of Canada, Backroads of the Kawarthas or something like that. And somebody had mentioned the little white chapel and they took a picture of it and I ran upstairs and I got the painting and I took a picture of the painting and I posted it and I'm like my grandfather painted that picture of the little white chapel our cottage was on Shandos Lake if you've read The Chosen you will recognize Shandos yes that is in The Chosen the name did come from a real place do you want your book published? I'm Walter G. Esselman, author of Super Horror Max and winner of last year's Open Contract Challenge. Now, Dark Myth Publications is having their third annual Open Contract Challenge, and we're looking for novels, books of poetry, novellas, comic books, and more. This is your chance. The grand prize is seeing your book in print on Amazon, no less, just like mine was this past March. First things first, though, 
You need to send in your pitch by the end of April. Just go to opencontractchallenge.com and it's under submissions in the top right. From there, independent judges will choose 10 to go to the next round. Take a chance. As the final judge, I'm dying to read your work. So yeah, I love having artwork. I love having things of beauty on the wall that are interesting and will spark a conversation and have a story to tell and a story attached to it. So it, it, it brings me great, great happiness, great joy. It makes my heart go yay to see my grandfather's artwork on the walls and to know that I'll be getting more of it. Yay me. Um, I still have to get his barometer uh, from that hung at the cottage. I still have to get that up on the wall. Um, I have the cowbell around here somewhere. Uh, I think it's, it's probably, I think it's in a box in my closet at the moment because I wasn't exactly sure where I was going to hang it. Now it always hang, hung on the wall between the living room and the kitchen. And I don't really have a wall between the living room and the kitchen. Well, actually, I just, never mind, I just found a spot for it. So I'm going to have to dig it out. I'm going to have to hang it up now. But it always hung on the wall right beside the bathroom at the cottage. And on the left of the bell, when you're standing facing the bell, on the left of the bell was the kitchen, on the right of the bell was the dining room where we ate, and the living room, because it was all kind of one open room. It was all open concept. And... When we were out in the bush playing or down on the dock swimming or whatever, at dinner time, instead of my grandma standing on the, the porch screaming my name, she would take this bell and she would ring it. And you could hear it on the other side of the lake. Didn't matter where I was. I heard that bell and knew I needed to hightail it back to the cottage. It was time for dinner. Because that was basically the only meal that she demanded I'd be back for was dinner time. Dinner time was sacred <laughs> with my grandma. <laughs> she needed to lay eyeballs on me, make sure I was all in one piece. I didn't have any parts missing. I wasn't bleeding. I hadn't broken anything. Um, I hadn't set myself on fire. Don't ask. And make sure that I changed out of my bathing suit because I kind of lived in my bathing suit at the cottage in the summer. Um, and into warmer clothes because the sun was going to be going down in a few hours. The mosquitoes are going to be coming out. She had to coat me in raid or in uh, deep woods off from top to bottom. And I mean, she would work it into my hair so that it got all on my scalp and rub it all over my face. And oh yeah, I went out smelling like deep woods off. <laughs> I tell you, when I turned 14, I was surprised Really, when any of the boys started looking at any of us girls, because we smelled like, during the day, we smelled like Hawaiian Tropic, and at night, we smelled like Deep Woods Off. That was the alluring perfume of cottage life in the summer. And if you didn't happen to shower in between the two, you kind of smelled like disinfected coconut. It was kind of odd. <laughs> now, mind you, every Friday night we would go into town because they would hold a dance at the community center in town. So 
yes, we showered. We washed off all of that Hawaiian tropic. We dodged the can of deep woods off that our grandmothers and our mothers were trying to coat us in because they seemed to think that somewhere between getting into the car, driving into town and going into the community center, a swarm of mosquitoes was going to attack us and suck us dry. We would get all dressed up and do our hair, do our makeup. So you always knew when you were packing to go to the cottage for the summer, you always packed, you know, 12 bathing suits because you lived in your bathing suit all day long. You lived in your bathing suit because we were in and out of the water. It got to be a real pain getting out of the water, changing back into your shorts and your tank top and your undergarments. And then you'd get into the boat and off you'd go. And, oh, look, we've ended up at the beach. Well, crap. Now we have to go into the outhouse and change back into our bathing suit. So you just kind of lived in your bathing suit. You would put your bathing suit on, throw on a pair of shorts over top and a loose tank and off you'd go. Grab your towel. You're good. We are good for the day. You, so you'd pack like 12 bathing suits and shorts and tank tops, T-shirts, jeans. Um, you'd pack at least two pairs of track pants because we would play sardines or capture the flag when the sun went down. Trying to crawl around and fit into really small spots in jeans didn't always work. But you did pack the jeans that you did pack. Keep in mind, this was the 80s. The jeans that you did pack pretty much were painted on. So there was no bending. Once you put them on, you stood for the evening. And I was lucky because a friend of ours always drove. He would leave his cottage. John John would drive and Jeff would sit in the front and Stuart would sit. My cousin Stuart would sit in the front and then Tina, Joanna and I would sit in the back. So the three of us girls would kind of get in and, you know, you'd be holding your breath and hoping that you didn't suddenly split in half. And as soon as we would get in, we would all unbutton the top button and unzip a little bit so we could breathe for the drive into town. And then we would get into town and the guys would all get out and they'd be, you know, high-fiving their buddies. And because we lived on the lake the entire summer, we were kind of accepted by the townies. We weren't cottagers. We weren't vacationers. We weren't city folk. We were one of them. So the boys would get out and they'd be high-fiving their town buddies and, you know, they'd be chugging whatever happened to be in the bottle that night. Whoever got to steal whatever from their parents, they would be drinking it as fast as they possibly could. And us girls would kind of slide out of the back of the car, out of the back seat, around to the back of the car and take turns. Now, what I mean by take turns is this was an Oldsmobile. So you know it had the trunk, the big trunk, with the little slant where the trunk lid kind of was, where you put the key in to open the trunk. So you'd shimmy yourself up there, and you'd kind of get the bumper in your upper thighs. And then you'd make sure that your butt, your butt had to kind of be level with the lock. And then you laid back. Well, you pretty much rolled yourself back onto the top of the trunk. And you sucked it all in and breathed it all out. And you buttoned it up. Now, when you first put on the jeans back at home, you had the aid of a coat hanger. But when you're in the parking lot of the community center, 
you've only got your girlfriends. So one would hold the two sides together and the other would zip. And then you would switch. And the next girl would assume the position and squeeze and zip. <laughs> so then we would all be back into our jeans and we would, you know, adjust our tops so that they flounced and, you know, we looked good because you had to have the flounce so you didn't have a muffin top, but it had to come down enough so you had a nice little bit of cleavage. No, nothing too much. You didn't want to be a tramp. You wanted to be alluring, but you didn't want to be a tramp. And then we would, of course, you know, touch up the lip gloss and floof the hair. It was the 80s. The higher the hair, you know. And then, you know, we would prepare ourselves. And if you ever noticed, girls in the 80s always wore running shoes. 99% of the time, we'd have really cool, high-top running shoes. Or snappy little sneakers that were all bedazzled. We didn't wear heels very often. The only time we would wear heels is if we were wearing a skirt. Do you want to know why? Even though they showed women wearing heels with jeans, especially when they were the, the fitted ankle boot cut whatever jeans and you got the cute little pair of stilettos, do you ever wonder why girls, normal girls, did not wear heels when they were wearing their really tight jeans. It's because heels hurt your feet and you need to sit down eventually to take the pressure off. And when you're wearing the skin tight 80s jeans that you have to do up with the coat hanger, there is no sitting. You don't bend from the waist down. <laughs> you're like one of those Barbie dolls that, you know, the plastic ones you get at Walmart that don't have the bendable knees. And you can't, and, and they, they, the whole body, the torso and everything is all one piece, so you can't bend it in half. And you just kind of have to prop it up against something. And that's how you would, if you remember the 80s, and you think back to the dances, and the girls would kind of be propped against the side of the table, or have one knee on the seat of a chair holding onto the back of the chair, but they wouldn't actually sit in the chair. Or if you were old enough to sneak into the bar... And you would see them kind of leaning against the bar stool, but never actually sitting on the bar stool. It's because there was no bending in these jeans. There was no give. There was no, yeah, not happening. <laughs> not happening. So by the end of the night, they were loose enough that you could, you know, get a good down going on Electric Avenue when it came on near the end of the night. Because they would play that to get the crowd going. You know, you're going to rock down to Electric Avenue, you know, all of that. And you got to do the, the down shimmy and then you got to come back up. Well, they usually played that at the end of the night because they knew our jeans were loose enough by then. We could actually bend the knees and get down and come back up. And then they would play the twist because they knew, again, our jeans were loose enough to be able to pull that off. And the very last song of every dance ever. And... I will say in the early 2000s, yeah, probably 2004, 2005, 2006, back in my bar days, um, they still played this song at the end of the night. Uh, and I was in my like 30s by this point. Um, and it started in every public school dance, every high school dance. And y'all, I, I can almost hear y'all now screaming out the name of the song as you're listening to this podcast, because y'all know what it is. It is the longest song in the history of songs. 
And if you didn't have a dance partner, it was the worst song to have to sit through because you sat there. Because you know the DJ is going to play the extended version. It's going to be the 14-minute version of this song. Not the 7-minute or the 5-minute radio version. It's going to be the 14-minute extended version of the song for all the people on the dance floor to get the final groping in before they decided to make their moves in the parking lot and get shut down. So if you didn't have a dance partner or a date or somebody that had decided that you were interesting enough to talk to by the end of the night, it was torturous to sit through that 14 minutes of Stairway to Heaven. Luckily, my cousin and I had made a pact with each other. Well, actually, he informed me of how it was going to be and out of risk of bodily harm, I agreed. So we made a pact, as him and I would do. That's how they were done. If neither one of us happened to have a dance partner at the end of the night and that song came on, we would dance together so that we wouldn't have to sit on the sidelines looking like a loser. Worked for me. I only ever had to dance with him twice, thankfully. Because by the fourth or fifth dance, I discovered it was a great time to go out and have a smoke and talk to the cool kids that were hang hanging out in the parking lot that didn't care about that last song. So, yeah. I don't know how we ended up getting on to my life as a child in at the cottage, but <laughs> there you go. I guess just certain things trigger certain memories. And then we were talking about my dad's helmet and my Graham's blanket. And that kind of brought me to what was a big part of my childhood was the best part of my childhood was spending time at the cottage with my grandparents and with all of the friends that I had on the lake. And I mean, we had a ton of friends on the lake. And I, I wonder what they're doing today. I wonder how they are today, where they are, you know? I wonder if some of them ended up being the drug addicts that we all assumed they were going to be or the alcoholics that they were, you know, rapidly racing towards being or if they ended up going into the family business or what, you know. I know one of our friends was a big marathon runner and biker and that was what he wanted to do was to be a an Olympic triathlon athlete and he trained all the time. All the time. It was the first time I'd ever actually seen a guy with no body hair. None. None on his legs, none on his chest, none under his arms, none on his arms. Nowhere. No body hair. And all the guys used to tease him. Like, dude, what are you doing? Are you like, are you a girl? Like, what are you doing? Why are you getting rid of all your body hair? And he didn't shave it. He used nair, okay? He used nair. Y'all know, nair. Nair. And my friend Ange finally asked him, Angela finally said to him, dude, what's up? Why are you shaving your hair? And Graham looked at her and he's like, because it cuts down on wind resistance. Do what now? Cuts down on wind resistance. And it also prevented chafing. And, and like when he was wearing his little bicycle shorts and, and stuff like that. So yeah, he would shave himself completely head to toe. Gone. Well, he would leave the hair on his head and his eyebrows. But I think that was the only hair he had. He didn't even have hair on his toes. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of neat. Like, he was smooth. Smooth, smooth, smooth. 
That's how we found out he was using Nair. Because, of course, all of us girls, we shaved our legs, we shaved our pits. It was a thing. And we're like, dude, you have no stubble. How? So we pinned him down one day and we asked him. I mean, we literally, we pinned him down in a chair. And there was, there was me, there was Angela, there was Tina, there was Joanna, Debbie, and yeah, Chrissy was there too. So there were six of us kind of circled around him. Dude, we need the secrets. Because you're a boy and not supposed to have smooth skin like that. We're girls. We do this on a weekly. Some of us, you know, because we have European descent every other day. Um, we need to know how, how, how. And he introduced us because he was a few years older than us. So we hadn't quite discovered all of the hair body, the hair removal things. So he introduced us to Nair. And you notice how I say Nair. Because anybody who's ever used Nair knows Nair. It stinks. It burns. It can leave scars. <laughs> if you're not careful. It can take the hair off your entire head. It will take hair off places that you don't want hair to come off of. But leave it in places that you want it to be removed. And it stinks. Really, really bad. It can leave a rash. A really bad rash. Nair. And it's still on the market. I still see it on the shelves. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I would rather cold wax myself in places that should never see wax than use that stuff ever again. Ever. Nuh-uh. No. Not happening. There. No. Don't do it. And now I have the stupid commercial running through my head. Anyway, you'll have noticed, too, that now, suddenly, there is a commercial popping up in the middle of my podcast. And I did have some negative feedback. So I want to take a moment. We're at the end of the podcast. And again, I have forgotten, but I'm pretty sure Joe will be able to figure out where to put it in. Um, I want to take a minute and explain why you're now hearing a 45-second blurb in the middle of my podcast. This is a free podcast. You don't have to pay to listen to me. The World of Myth magazine is a free magazine. You don't have to pay to read it. You don't have to pay to submit to it. But the end of the day, they are just subsidiaries of the main company. Now, the main company shells out money. Right now, it's kind of hemorrhaging money because we're not bringing anything in. <laughs> and call apples apples. The, the, the bank account for the company is named David K. Montoya. He is the company's ATM right now. So the reason why there's a plug in the middle of my podcast for the open contract challenge right now is to generate more interest. Not that we don't have a lot of interest now, but it's kind of a placeholder. Because we're not going to generate income off of the open contract challenge. No, we're going to give our money away. Well, we're going to give Dave's money away. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be real. We're going to give Dave's money away. So from now on, there will be a plug in the middle of the podcast. It's 45 seconds of your life that I'm pretty sure you can get through. And eventually, you will start to hear plugs for author's books, plugs for swag, plugs for events that are coming up. 
Starting out, most of the plugs you're going to hear are going to be company related. Somewhere down the line, we may get a sponsor. You're going to hear plugs for MythMart. Yes, I was getting direction from the live studio audience. <laughs> I was getting there. Because we need to start generating an income to pay for the open contract challenge, to pay for Pop Culture Expo, to pay for Scarefare, and to pay for anything else that we may want to bring to you guys. So, 45 seconds in the middle of my podcast, in the middle of Dave's podcast, in the middle of Alan and Dave's podcast, in the middle of the World of Myth Bits, because that's the only podcast name I can remember. You have to give it, you got to cut me some slack. It is 12.04 a.m., all right, when I'm recording this. So my public life is an American nerd. There we go. And grindhouse sleaze. Woohoo! All right. I am back in the good graces with my boss. You're going to hear a 45-second plug. And I, I promise you, it's not going to be much longer than 45 seconds. Because that is about the attention span of somebody when it comes to a commercial. Before they tune out. 45 seconds. Go pee. Go grab a drink. Get a snack. Whatever. Blow your nose. Whatever. If you don't want to listen to the commercial, there are a multitude of things that you can do in 45 seconds. You can also, if you're listening to it on certain platforms, you can bounce ahead 15 seconds. You hit that three times, you can skip the commercial completely. I hope you don't. I hope you do actually listen to it and it does create some interest for you in certain areas of the company that you may not know exist. But that is why all of a sudden there is this commercial in the middle of the podcast. It's not really a commercial. It's a plug. It's a plug for company related issues and events and things and stuff. So I'm sorry if it upsets you. And I know it did upset. Oh, for crying out loud. Really? I'm sorry, I just happened to glance out my living room window and saw the most disgusting sight that I have ever seen. It's snowing. And I don't mean little dandruffy, you know, could it be, could it not be, might it just be a heavy rain kind of snow. No, these are big fluffy flakes flying around, building up steam, landing on the ground, covering it in a white blanket. On the 22nd of April. It's snowing. I am not impressed. I am not amused. I am not thrilled. I am not even remotely interested in the delicate white flakes that are falling outside of my window. I wondered what winter was going to be like in this apartment, but I did not want to find out so soon. So, sorry about the interruption again. <laughs> as I was talking about the interruption in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, so that is why there is the blurb in the middle of the podcast. Because we need to generate an income. We need to start putting money into the company's bank account to pay for all of these things that the company does. We need to pay for the web hosting for the magazine. We need to pay for the web hosting for the podcasts the company needs to start paying for itself because if it doesn't, we're not going to be able to be here. You're not going to have me 
every Friday. You're not going to have the World of Myth Bits every Monday. You're not going to have the magazine once a month. You're not going to have PCE. You're not going to have the OCC. So I know it's an inconvenience and I know it upsets some of you and you don't like having a commercial, as you put it, in the middle of the podcast, but you like having the podcast, you like having the magazine, you like having the events and the contests, you got to have the plug. Okay? I hope that kind of explains it a little more. I probably should have explained it last week instead of just springing it on you without any notice. I didn't think about it. And again, I didn't think about it this week to actually pause and say, you know, we're going to take a short break while we pause for station identification or whatever. Because I had totally planned on doing that. Because I think it's kind of funny. But... I get rambling and I forget and now we are, holy crap, we are an hour and 17 minutes into this podcast. Uh, No wonder I have no voice left at this point in time. My neighbors probably hate me because they can hear me droning on. But we need to generate an income. That income is going to come from things like our fan fiction contest that is coming up. Our um, Myth Mart that is going to sell all of the books that we have the rights to and swag like t-shirts and coffee mugs and posters and uh, little stuffed animals of the myth master i don't know stuff it's gonna have stuff phone covers and pens and bookmarks and i mean bookmarks come on we're writers bookmarks and it's all gonna have all that stuff it's gonna have all of our our vast library of books under our publishing brand um who knows we could have books by other publishers too we don't know but that is going to help generate income to pay for the open contract challenge to pay for pce to pay for scarefare and whatever else we happen to want to do for you guys to pay for the the web hosting for the magazine and for the podcast network, you know, it doesn't come free. We give it away free, but they don't give it to us for free. So, you know, kind of help us out. We're also going to be offering space. Like, you want to buy that plug in the middle of my podcast and get heard by however many hundred of listeners I have. I don't know. I don't know how many listeners I have. I don't ask. I have a lot. I know I have a lot, which is why I'm still going. (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's a few episodes that, you know, days kind of go, you know what? I don't know if I want to let you continue this way, (laughs) but I have enough listeners that kind of lets me keep going. Um, And I have some very dedicated listeners, some very big fans of mine um, that, that listen every week without fail. And I think he's afraid of them. <laughs> or at least the retribution from them if they if he takes me off the air. I don't know. I, I'm getting cocky, so I should probably behave myself. I am replaceable. I am replaceable. Nobody is irreplaceable. But anyway, you want to keep hearing me every week. You want to keep reading the magazine every month. You want to go to these wonderful events that we put on. And let me tell you, they are wonderful. If you want to enter our contests, then you have to deal with the 45-second commercial in the middle of the podcasts because we need to generate some cash here, people. That's the bottom line. Got to generate an income. 
I mean, we all work for free, so it's not to pay any of us. Everybody on the board of directors is there voluntarily. We all volunteer our time to help cut costs. So the money we are trying to generate is not to pay any of us. It's to pay for the things to bring the stuff to you. You know, we are very transparent in this company. So if you have questions, ask them. Anyway, I am out of here. I am almost at an hour and a half. My feet have gone numb. I need a drink. And I'm pretty sure I've lost my butt somewhere in this couch. So, and I still have to tear everything down and put everything away because it just irks me that when, when there's a mess. Like I got into bed the other night and I hadn't done my dishes. And I got up at two o'clock in the morning and had to do my dishes because there were dishes in my sink and it bothered me. Now, mind you, that was also the night that the migraine was starting, so I was still awake anyway, kind of off and on, and I went back to sleep, and it woke me up, like, out of a dead sleep at 3 in the morning. I think it was about 3, 3.30 in the morning, and I couldn't even lay my head on the pillow. It hurt so bad, and by 7.30, I was throwing up. I'm like, oh, this is going to be no fun. I'm now day two into it, and... It's it's not as bad as it was the first day, and I've kind of figured out what it is. I suffer from cluster migraines. Um, they call them the suicide headaches. Google it. You'll see why. So they kind of cycle where they'll be really, really intense, and you'll want to like jab a railroad spike into your forehead, um, and then they'll kind of ease off, and you'll be like, oh, okay, I can get through this. I can deal with this. I can handle this, and you'll be able to function as a somewhat normal human being, um, you're squinty and, and you're very light sensitive, but you can manage to do things. And then it comes back in a wave. And it just, if you've ever been swimming in the ocean and you're kind of standing there and all of a sudden a big wave hits you and knocks you off your feet and you're kind of tumbling and spinning and you can't figure out which is up and which is down and, and, that's what it feels like when it circles back around and it, it kind of crashes over you again and you're done. Um, and that's another reason why I'm ending the podcast here because I can feel that building back up to that stage. Um, what helps right now is, surprisingly enough, um, antihistamines, allergy pills. Because histamine is one of the biggest triggers. And Saturday, I, I've been fighting a low-grade headache for about two weeks. Pollen. <laughs> it's spring. Um, and that should have been a clue. I haven't had a cluster migraine attack in probably eight years, um, seven years. And the low-grade headache every single day, wake up with it, go to bed with it, wake up with it, go to bed with it, should have been my first clue. Um, and then the migraine Monday should have been my second clue, but it wasn't because I was just too concerned with trying to keep whatever I put in me, in me, like my medications <laughs> and water. But, uh, by today I knew what I was dealing with and it's like, all right, to the Google machine we go. Because like I said, it's been about eight years, so I've forgotten what most of the triggers were. And the big triggers are tobacco, which I don't smoke anymore, so yay me. Um, and that's how I kind of narrowed it down to the dust and the pollen and everything that I was inhaling on Saturday. Trust me, this Saturday I will be taking half a dozen allergy pills and wearing a mask. So yeah, I'm kind of getting a little foggy again. 
So I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to go take some allergy pills. I'm going to drink a ton of water. And I'm going to spin this down and y'all are going to get it on Friday. So I hope you guys have a great week. And I wasn't really ranty this week. Look at that. Except for the snow. I'm sorry. I will rant about the snow year round. Don't like the snow. But look, I wasn't ranty this week and I wasn't teary this week. Wow. It's been an odd week. Okay. I am out of here. You want to find me, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, Stephanie J. Barty, Lupa Barty, Lupa, the blah, blah, blah. Uh, Lupa's Bits, the podcast. Um, you can get a hold of me through the magazine, the World of Myth magazine on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Just type in at Lupa B. All of my things will come up. You can find me on Instagram at Luhu Baskets, Lupa's Bits, the podcast, Stephanie Barty author, Stephanie Lupa Barty author. I think that's all of them. And over on TikTok at Lady Luhu. And for those of you that were waiting for the live this morning, I kind of posted the there will be no live on the wrong account. I posted it on my backup account. But um, I did explain why there was no live at 11 this morning. And hopefully tomorrow morning, I'm not going to make any promises. I'm not setting a countdown. But if I am feeling better tomorrow than around 11 or 12, I will be going live. So we'll see you there. All right. I'm out. Have a good week. See ya. There'll be peace when you are done Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry